Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brody Lancaster. I'm Kate Jinks. And this week we're kind of doing something a little different. A little a little mini episode. I was about to say bonus, but it's a mini. It's a mini. Yeah. It's not a toy. It's a mini. <laughs> That's poodle culture, guys. <laughs> it's like Top Chef. Yeah, he's a mini. We thought we were going to get a toy, but... <laughs> so in this mini episode... In this teacup episode... <laughs> In this poodle-sized episode of See Also, Kate and I are going to try a kind of new format for the podcast, which we're going to continue here and there down the line, where we just spend um, a whole episode talking about one piece of pop culture that we both have uh, kind of a connection to or affection for. And we'll dig into the history of it and how we feel about it. We're kicking things off with the film This Is My Life, directed by Nora Ephron. So this is Nora Ephron's directorial debut. It came out in 1992. It's based on the Meg Wallitzer book, This Is Your Life, from 1988, I believe. Uh, And the film follows a character named Dottie Ingalls, played by Julia Kavanagh, a.k.a. Marge Simpson. She's a single mom living near, like, Manhattan adjacent, but not in Manhattan. One of the boroughs. One of the boroughs. She works at... A cosmetics counter at Macy's where she's got something of a reputation for cracking jokes while trying to sell the products and her aunt dies and leaves her a little bit of money or leaves her a house which she decides to sell so that she can move herself and her two daughters Erica and Opal 
to Manhattan to try and kickstart the career that she's actually always wanted. And she's been putting off really wanting to be a stand-up comic all her life to raise her two girls by herself. And now this is like her one big shot. And so they all move into the city and the daughters are incredible. And you get to see the story unfold from both Dottie's eyes and most of the eyes of Erica, the oldest daughter played by Samantha Mathis, and then there's the younger daughter, Opal, played by Gabby Hoffman. So good. Iconic actress, Gabby Hoffman. I know. They're both so... Everyone is great. They're so great. So we get to see her quite meteoric rise to fame. Like, she becomes a famous comedian pretty fast. Yeah, she goes from, like, doing the clubs in New York. And we see her really... Her rise through her daughter's experience where... They wake up in the morning and she regales them with the stories of her set the night before. And then kind of all of a sudden she's not coming home at night because she's on late night TV and she's got an agent and she eventually is like performing in Vegas. Yeah. So she just kind of hightails to LA for a bit as you do to see what happens. I don't know, probably pilot season. Yeah. And (laughs) it seems there's no comedy culture in New York at the time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And the two daughters are first really, really supportive of their mom. They think it's incredible and so exciting, but then Dottie is calling them and saying like, oh, actually, like mommy's not coming home for another two weeks. Is that okay?" And that sort of just becomes longer and longer until she's essentially living in Las Vegas. And her friends, this ragtag group of New York comics are looking after the two girls. And that sort of begins to stress the daughters out. Mm, a ragtag group that includes like Kathy Najimi <laughs> and, and some really, uh, I was about to say messy men, but um, I don't know if they're technically men. They're professional stand-up comedians, so they're really like giant babies, quite literally. Yeah, one of them is a famous prop comedian and you get to see him kind of do his thing on screen. We've talked in the past about Joan Rivers and Maisel and all of these kind of like female stand-up archetypes and Dottie is she's more the Joan side of things because she's very good at what she does um but she also is kind of in a class of her own and the way that the stand-up is written is so strong because it's really hard to find stand-up in a film funny I think but you as a an audience member of the film understand why audiences love Dottie totally and I think that it's partly because it's hard to write a stand-up comic who kind of kills on stage in a film or TV show and also make them funny at all the other times in their life. Like you're meant to really like this person and root for them. So they're kind of being amusing the whole time, but then there's this chasm between like who they are off stage and who they are on stage. And there are hardly any good movies about stand-up comics where the sets are actually good. Mm. I'm really struggling to think of (laughs) near and like even the stand up in hacks is like not incredible work. Yeah. No, it's got nothing on Dottie. Deborah Vance. Nothing on Dottie. (laughs) Dottie would have like wiped the floor with Deborah Vance in the nineties. And I love that Dottie, when she starts her career, like she's in her mid, like Julie Kavanaugh was in her early forties when she played Dottie, which is, Like, this is the one film she ever, like, a feature she ever made. Mm. And it's kind of, like, we'll get into it. But, yeah, this film, she's so good in it. I just really wish that we had more Julie Kavner on screen. 
where we got to see her and we didn't just see, you know, a blue-haired matriarch. You mentioned it's Nora Ephron's directorial debut. She wrote it with her sister Delia Ephron. And, like, I'm not as familiar with Delia's work, but Nora's, her sensibilities and her tone and her fingerprints are just all over this work. Like the story comes from Meg Wallitzer. I haven't actually read the book that it's based on. I can't find it anywhere. I've got a copy. I'll lend it to you. Oh, please. It just feel, it just feels so Nora, you know, it feels like, like you understand why she was so drawn to this story after, you know, I've read some of her short story work and, you know, seen all of her films, of course. Um, and that, that tone, that Nora tone is just right there. Yeah. We've talked about how much we love the film, off pod, but off pod, that's so gross. <laughs> Excuse moi. Um, so we talk off pod a little bit. Um, it's like DMs. But we've talked about how much we like it, but not how you, like, how did you get into this one? Because it is extremely underseen. And until very recently, you could not buy it on any streaming platform. And the DVD was completely out of print. Yeah. Is completely out of print. It's like criminally inaccessible thankfully now you can you can rent or buy it on youtube um, and amazon even oh really yeah oh, that's great so i found it because i was going down like a meg wallitzer completest route like i i read a few of her books really adored them wanted to dive in more into her back catalog and i read the blurb of this i think it was around the time you know when um we spoke about Emma Straub's new novel a few episodes ago. And when she was first opening Books of Magic, I remember reading an interview with her where she said, you know, every neighborhood needs a good books bookshop and um, mine is going to have this and this and this and the complete works of Meg Wallitzer, like basically a promise that at any time you could go in and buy any of Meg Wallitzer's books. And so I was like, I want the complete works of Meg Wallitzer. And this was one that I could never find, but in digging around, I was like, wait, this was made into a film. Wait, the film was directed by Nora Ephron and the soundtrack by Carly Simon, who is like a very big part of my formative years. My sister was named after Carly Simon. My mom is like a very big fan. And I just, yeah, was never able to find it. I think maybe I like tweeted about how much I wanted to find it. And that is how you hooked me up with a copy years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sneaky little copy. Yeah. What yeah. about you? I did the same thing. I found out about it because I was a big Meg Wallitzer fan and loved her books. I think I just read The Interestings and just was kind of quite floored by that novel. I really just really adored it. Yeah. And was going through her back catalogue and then saw exactly the same as you, that she had written this book, This Is Your Life, and ordered it like off, you know, A Books or eBay or something like out of print at that point and then found out about the film. And at that time I just sort of started dating my still girlfriend and was trying to do that thing of always having some cute gift, like going really hard on the gifts, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. every birthday. And like, this was the era when I was like finding her like vintage Ellen t-shirts, like from the Ellen show, like the Ellen nineties show. The sitcom. Show. Yeah. 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 Not the talk show. Yes. I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And yeah. Yep. I'm gay. Yep. That's it. <laughs> and like Xena cast jackets and stuff like that. Like I was going full on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ordered the DVD as one of those like 
trying hard cute gifts. And yeah, we both really loved this film. I think I bought it for her because she's a comedian and stand-up comic. And I thought, oh, like this is this could either go one of two like one of two ways. Either it's gonna be great laugh a minute, like really feel connected to it, or like it could be the worst possible thing because that is what she does. Yeah. But it was a really good film. And actually uh, we played it at Golden Age in, in Sydney in like 2012 or something like mm. that, like a special one-off session of it. But, yeah, I, I just really connected with this film and was deeply upset that no one could see it. And I was basically DMing you on Twitter going like, do you want to see it? Like, do you want to see it, kid? You and were like back alley dealing it from inside a trench coat to me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but now people can pay. I would like the money to go to the right place. Yes. Yeah, it's it's. I said before, like criminally underseen, but it does. I think it's something about the the age of the um, daughters and the setting that makes me feel like it. It feels like something I grew up with. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It, there's a like a strong sense of nostalgia with this film. For yeah, me. maybe it's like seeing Gabby Hoffman that age. You know, Uncle Buck. This and Sleepless in Seattle was her like run over mm. those years. And obviously like now and then and everything she's done since, like she was such a fixture of my childhood as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I love Samantha Mathis as well. She's so good in this. I don't know very much about her. I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else. She, she, already- she reminds me a little of Martha Plimpton. Well, they both were in relationships or friendships with River Phoenix. Oh, Okay. So Samantha Mathis had already made Pump Up the Volume uh, with not Christian Bale, Christian Slater. Slater. Christian Slater about a couple of years before, like maybe two years before. And that film was directed by Alan Moyle, who directed Times Square, one of my all-time favorite films, Uh which is probably should be another mini Toy Poodle app. Yeah. And (laughs) we're sticking with Toy Poodle app from now on. I think so. And... Yeah, so Samantha had already been doing some pretty cool roles. Like Pump Up the Volume is a great film. And then here she is playing like a moody teenager in this film. It's so cute. She went from starring in This Is My Life to being opposite River Phoenix in The Thing Called Love, which was another quite panned film at the time. Mm. And she was dating River and she was there actually when he died. Oh, okay. And then she stopped acting, like, for the most part, um, or took up very small roles from then. Okay. And then has been in a lot of TV and that sort of thing in more recent years. And actually she just spoke about being there and, like, the legacy of River and um, how it has affected her life, essentially. Mm. Um, Maybe, like, two years ago in The Guardian. We can link to that. It's a really good interview. So the Martha Plimpton thing is right on. Yeah. (laughs) That era of kind of, like, cool, almost androgynous, um, kind of punk-leaning teen girls. Um, Yeah, the styling of of Erica's character is just so cool. Even her, like, thermal long johns are just so sweet. At one point, yeah, there's, like, a 
a bit of a raunchy, not really scene, and the most awkward teen losing your virginity scene of all time. And she takes her clothes off and she's wearing like full long johns. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's really sweet, but she's always wearing like a little bowler hat and really kind of like Lindsay Weir freaks and geek style, like oversized men's outerwear trench coats and stuff. Yeah, she's she has this like masculine kind of look, and then. Gabby Hoffman's outfits are to die for. I was re-watching this film last night in preparation for this. And the whole time I was looking at Gabby Hoffman in this going, have I just completely co-opted this kid's wardrobe? <laughs> like I feel, I was like, I have that shirt. You're kind of a I mixture of both pants. of them. Yeah. And I was like, but I've also got that over. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, this is my, it's, it's that, this is my life, but it's that thing of, feeling really connected to something in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. Yeah. Gabby Hoffman also has some of the best lines of her career in this film. Like she's so, she's so funny and she's such a natural actor as well. Yeah. Well, she, she'd started really early on as like in commercials when she was like five. She was a Warhol baby, right? Yeah. So her mom is the Warhol superstar Viva. uh, And she was raised in the Chelsea hotel with her older sister. And at various points of like Viva's life. So Viva was in, a bunch of Warhol films as well and is now a painter who lives in uh, Joshua Tree. <laughs> Get out of the city, babe. Get out of the Go city. Go look at the stars. Uh, totally. So Viva didn't have a lot of money despite being that Warhol superstar. They didn't, there wasn't a lot of money flowing for pretty much anyone except for Warhol. Yeah. If you've watched the Warhol diaries or listened to our episode about it, you'll know that. <laughs> and so she essentially didn't like farm out her kid, but she got Gabby into like acting at an early age just to like do this one commercial to kind of support mm. them for a bit. And it snowballed from there. But at one point, Viva was writing a book and trying to do a version of Eloise, but it was based on Gabby Hoffman's life living in the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, my God. Uh, and instead of, like, cute rich girl energy from Eloise, the Gabby in the book would take, like, these downtown, <laughs> downtown t- like, adventures and one of the stories, like the central focus of the story was that she found a vial of crack in the stairwell. <laughs> oh my God. It was called Gabby at the Chelsea and it was like this never is like published. proto Wheatsy bat or something. Totally. It reminds me even a little bit of that Sex in the City episode where Sarah Jessica Parker is trying to get that, or Carrie is trying to get that book of like Carrie and her magic cigarettes book published. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I still think is a good idea, and someone should publish that. Absolutely. If I was a, if I, if I were me as a child in like 1995, I would want to read Carrie's Magic Cigarettes, Gabby finding crack in a stairwell. Oh God, yeah, Gabby at the Chelsea, give it to me. Oh. Uh, Taffy Brodesser Ackner did this great profile on uh, Gabby Hoffman in 2013. It was called the. Chelsea Hotel has its own Eloise and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's when Gabby was starting to, when she was in Transparent and she was in Girls. And so Mm -hmm. she was kind of having this renaissance as like an adult, an adult actor, that sounds terrible, but as a grown actor, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's a really good profile. I mean, all of Taffy's profiles are great. The reason she was getting $4 a word. 
It is. Famously. Famously. <laughs> I wonder what she got for this. It's a little yeah. while ago. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's really good. It's really great. And, yeah, Gabby had already made Uncle Buck and Field of Dreams. Mm. And then she was in Nora Ephron's next film, Sleepless in Seattle, a year later. Mm. And when this film came out, it did really poorly at the box office. It has, has something like a 36% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's why we can't trust anyone who votes on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think you can trust anyone who cites Rotten Tomatoes stats or anyone who actually follows the Bechdel test. No, no, I don't support either of them. <laughs> this is like when, um, when like a Taylor Swift album comes out, I don't know why I'm bringing up Taylor Swift in every episode, but her fans go hard on any critic who gives her not a 10 out of 10 or a five out of five because it brings down her Metacritic score. And it's like, babe, n- no one cares. No one looks at Metacritic except you. Yeah. I no, I've never looked at Metacritic. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is the Taylor Swift fan Metacritic. Of, yeah, totally. It's <laughs> this like, is my life. My analogy is all messed up, but for sure. Yeah. I wonder what it's letterboxed rating would be. Surely higher. Definitely higher. Yeah. 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 They do. Um, I'm pretty sure I gave it a four and a half last night, but I need to bump that up to a five. Just, just give it a five. Just give it a five, just everyone. Give it a five, okay. And us too, while you're at it. Um, <laughs> this being Nora's directorial debut as well, it was very much like the writer of When Harry Met Sally has directed a film now, because she had done before this, like, Silkwood, written Silkwood, written Heartburn, the book and the screenplay. And then obviously, When Harry Met Sally was like her, the, the story that really had her stamp on it. Yeah. Do you think that this is... Although Heartburn, I mean, Heartburn, Heartburn was really had Yeah. <laughs> Everything is copy. <laughs> yeah, which is part of this as well. I think maybe totally. that's part of the reason why maybe she felt connected to this particular story because there's a lot of back and forth between Dottie and Erica, Samantha Mathers, of what she can and can't use uh, for mm. comedic material from their lives. Yeah. The- there's a great scene when they all think it's kind of funny and great and like Eric is happy because Dottie her mom has used one of her jokes and that really pleases her but then the minute Dottie makes a joke kind of at Erica's expense in a set like Erica just loses it Mm. um I don't know I live with a comedian and (laughs) like my girlfriend tells jokes about how I make Top Chef go to the toilet. Like, yeah. <laughs> and the bad thing is it's true. If you've seen it, it's all true. Everything is material, Everything sadly. Everything is material. Yeah. Yeah, I loved how that came up over and over again. And there was that moment of, um, yeah, that switch in Erica where it goes from like, oh, cool, I'm sitting here in the audience watching my mother doing like living out her dream on stage, talking about us, like that's us she's talking about. And then, yeah, over time as the resentment grows, she realizes that people at her school have seen her mum on TV and have all these questions about her. She starts to feel really kind of self-conscious and resentful and starts to really like her, her mother's success is kind of becomes a thorn in her side. Um, and so then when a story about her is like, you know, repeated on a late night show. It's like, don't ever speak about our lives. Like everything is not material. Um, and Nora Ephron's son famously like made the documentary called Everything is Copy, where he spoke about how his mother did the same thing. I think a lot of people also have seen this film or it got had like a little bit of a 
renaissance, uh, I don't know, maybe six, five, six years ago because Lena Dunham, who was like a huge Nora Ephron fan and friend of, uh, she put a series together of films that inspired her work, a BAM, I think. Yeah. And Girlfriends was one of them, and that's kind of how Girlfriends came back into the zeitgeist. Uh-huh. And she also played This Is My Life. And so if you look up any article about it, you're either getting an article from that particular, like, Lena Dunham screening it time or the original time. Right. And, like, the original pieces – are harsh like there are a couple of like okay reviews out there but a lot of them are pretty harsh they're really? like this is like a a modest film or it's a basically it's like it's a humble little film that doesn't do anything and <sighs> these funny little women and their funny little <laughs> lives and jokes exactly and then there have been a few pieces sort of reclaiming the film and saying like actually this is the this is the Nora Ephron film we should all be talking about yeah because it was actually something of a feminist statement of it's this strong single mother going after her own dreams as soon as she has the means to have her daughters supported and looked after so that they're okay while she's doing that. Mm. And it's really about the relationship between the three of them. And also none, there is not a villain in the film. Mm. Like they're all like Dottie is like, yeah, she she doesn't like abandon them, but she, for a second, she just sort of puts them aside to do her own thing and has like a big breakdown in the film about it. But And also the daughters aren't, like, resentful to the point of villain, like, to the point of villainous. Mm. They're just kind of like, this is, we want our mum back, essentially. Mm. Like, there's no real villain in the piece. Yeah, and the film has so much empathy for both of them. It does this really lovely thing where you get, um, like, voiceover exposition from Dottie and Erica kind of side by side where Dottie will say, as my success picked up the the girls were home a lot and then it's erica being like mom kept leaving you know and it's like you see from both sides i'm so sorry for that voice i'm loving it i'm loving I'm it in so much pain thinking about listening to this back <laughs> i'm cringing as i'm saying it please know that um but yeah you get to see it has so much empathy for both of them because it's not saying Dottie was in the wrong by telling it just from the girl's perspective or saying these girls are like resentful little brats by telling it just from Dottie's perspective. Not that they think that of each other. Um, but yeah, it, it, it makes you see it from both their perspectives and what, what Dottie sacrificed so that her girls could grow up happy and normal. And then, yeah, you're right. As soon as she had like a room of one's own or in a beautiful pre-war apartment of one's own, um, what she got to do with her kind of creative ambitions. Um, it's funny you mentioned the the Lena Dunham screening because um, I reached out to Meg Wallitzer, who I did an event with in Melbourne a few years ago, just to kind of see if she wanted to say something about the film, um, letting her know that we were going to be talking about it on the podcast. And she sent me like this lovely email about it. And she mentioned that night she was there with Delia and Nora and they sat and watched the film together and had like a really lovely time watching it after all these years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and she appears in the film. We haven't really mentioned two of the really big stars, mm -hmm. the su supporting characters, Carrie Fisher and Dan Aykroyd, who play um, Dan Aykroyd plays 
uh, Dottie's agent. Arnold Moss, the Moss. The Moss. And Carrie Fisher is his assistant, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the first time we see Dottie perform stand-up, the two of them and the two girls are sitting in a little uh, table at the comedy club and right behind them, between Dan Aykroyd and Carrie Fisher, you can see uh, Meg Wallitzer and her husband have like a little cameo. In it, which is really cute. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I can't wait to rewatch again and, and see that. Yeah. So she wrote um, like a few little memories of um, first writing the book, obviously, but then also experiencing the, it being adapted into a film. She said she was very interested in like telling a mother daughter story because she herself is the daughter of a very interesting mother. Um, her mum is the novelist and short story writer Hilma Wallitzer, um, whose new collection, uh, Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket, just came out um, when she was 91. That book was published. Wow. Um, and Meg wrote, This is Your Life is also a sister story, and I'm the younger of two sisters, and we have a very close relationship to this day. It's also about ambition and family, subjects that interest me a great deal. And it's about girls and women, femaleness, a subject that I think I've interrogated in all of my novels. Nora and Delia, who co-wrote the film, welcomed me into the process and I went with them to comedy clubs to scout possible talent. I was very pregnant then and one night, if I were to, if I were to decide to go with them, I would be missing my last childbirth class. Nora, in her usual funny and deadpan way, said, come with us, I'll tell you what they were going to teach you. And then she made panting sounds. Apparently all I needed to know how to do was breathe. <laughs> Classic Nora. Oh, this is great. Yeah. She said, speaking of sisters, another thing I got from that film being made was my friendships with both Efron sisters. I miss Nora a lot. Delia remains a great friend. And we have that happy origin story, the making of a film that meant a lot to us both. This year, I've been watching the TV series Hacks with Jean Smart and Hannah Einbinder, and I just love it. It's a very character-based show. I think I'm often a character-based writer, which may be why I've had my work adapted a few times for screen. And then she mentioned... Uh, Glenn Close's performance in The Wife, which um, was an Academy Award nominated film a couple of years ago based on one of Meg's like shorter novels, which I really love. It's very cool that Meg has weighed in on C also. Yes. <laughs> I love that. A shout out from The Goat. Absolutely. Yeah, you did mention that we haven't really been talking about some of the major stars <laughs> in the film. And. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd plays this character who is actually based in the film on Nora Ephron's real-life agent. Oh, really? Who apparently famously always wore sweaters the whole time. (laughs) I mean, sure, it gets a bit chilly in New York, so, yeah. Um, But he also had Pika, and he ate paper all the time. Oh. And that's why the character of the Moss is eating paper constantly throughout the film, like eating tissues and napkins. Wow. Imagine being Nora Ephron's agent and seeing this this depiction on screen. And would Dan Aykroyd actually spent quite a bit of time with him trying to get his like mannerisms down. Oh wow. Yeah. Was it in um Can You Ever Forgive Me where um the Melissa McCarthy character would call up her agent and not be put through and then be like, tell her it's Nora Ephron and then would be put through immediately? Yes. <laughs> I love that. Is that the same agent, I wonder? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think there are other, because her agent in that film is like a... It's a woman, right? Yeah. yeah. Lee Israel, that's her name. Lee Israel. Woman I model myself after. <laughs> a lot of suiting. A lot of suiting. Um, Dan Aykroyd also fresh off My Girl. So seeing him in this this era of Dan Aykroyd, I see him and I'm like, that's my dad. <laughs> because I, another film that I grew up with. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, because that would have come out. It's so it's so sad to me that all those films came out at the same time, and I didn't get to grow up with this film. Yeah, yes, totally. It. I really am like kind of mourning the like. 10, 15 years of childhood that this wasn't like playing on Friday nights on Channel 7. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was always hungry for these stories of these like bolshy, funny women who would go out and like have their own career and their own adventures. Mm-hmm. And that it was really sorely missing from that point, actually. Yeah. What I'm saying is this could have changed the world if this had done better. And those reviews, are the more I think about those reviews that you mentioned, the more infuriated I am because it's like, oh, we only, like if she had had kind of like a romantic, it had been a romantic story or something, like I'm sure it would have done better. Or if it had, I don't know. I don't know. If she had a husband who was like had problems with her having a career or something like that would be the, or if it was the husband who was a comedian it would probably would have done better, you know? Totally. Well, sleepless in Seattle, which came out a year later did roughly 100 times better at the box office. Wow. 100 times better. I mean, look, it's a great movie. Gabby Hoffman has a great performance. Yeah, she, uh, yeah but, but it's, it's no, this is my life No, to me. it's not. Oh, there's just so many bits in this film that, like, every rewatch I just am so, like, like I notice little bits and pieces, like the best kinds of films. Yeah. I really love that it's set in this kind of underground comedy world and like and also like club comedy of the early 90s it's like this very particular situation where you know like there's references to steve martin etc which is just great but also that the characters are like one of them is wearing like a velvet underground t-shirt at one point and there are just all these like little bits and pieces that you see and i love all the production design in this film mm. i love the way that the house is styled and the kids bedrooms are styled yeah i love that samantha mathis's character is like constantly reading these like books about like girls in mental institutions like at the very beginning oh. of the of the film she's what she's rereading I never promised you a rose garden and like the it had already been made into a film at that point so it's like the film novel version oh, and such a specific touch look I looked it up on eBay last night to buy, <laughs> to buy it. there is a copy in Australia um and Gabby Hoffman makes like reference to how many times she's read it over and over it's just great the styling yeah I mean the Erica gets a boyfriend at one point and her her issue with her mother at that moment is that she she's away and she's missing out on all these big moments and that's when this like very awkward sex scene occurs but the the dorky boyfriend what's his name Jordan 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 he's he's quite cool in retrospect like you're supposed to look at him and be like what a fucking dork but he has this really cool bedroom and he's wearing like a really beautiful like Philip Glass yes, t-shirt Philip Glass t-shirt yeah <laughs> I love it I love there's a little kind of um I I feel like it's an Easter egg Opal's bedroom door has a Bart Simpson sticker yes, on it. Totally. Um, so it very much exists in a world where Julie Kavner has a career as Marge Simpson and also is their mother. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love when you get to see, that's such a great scene where you really get to see Gabby Hoffman's door with a Bart Simpson sticker <laughs> on it. Um, there's like a huge, huge fight happening between Erica and Dottie there. It's just this great shot. 
of like the camera is set up in this cool way where it, it can see down the hallway, but also kind of into some of the rooms and Dottie is like super mad and she's like storming down the hallway. And then Erica is like sitting on her bed trying to make everyone go away. And Opal keeps coming out of her room just to like spy on everyone. (laughs) And then before Dottie turns around to like storm back up the hallway, Opal's already in her room safely. Like she's like just opening the door like a little mouse coming in and seeing everything. It's like, God, that is such a great... I don't know, like authentic family fight scene. Yeah, they get the sister, the sister stuff and the family stuff so perfect. We're so awful to the people in our lives who care about us the most. Mm. Oh God. Like I get it because the thought of like being that age and being so embarrassed um, and then seeing your mum become famous, I would be like, oh my God, this that nothing has ever been worse. Nothing has ever been more embarrassing than this. And Erica has this amazing line when Dottie comes back from her first trip to LA where she's like, she's forgotten how to be alone. She always, she starts traveling with an entourage. She's always got people around her all of a sudden. It's so good. And I also love that Dottie manages to move to Manhattan and immediately like not just get an agent, but like build up this community of comics who can look after her kids who are always <laughs> at her house i mean her house is very nice her house is nice but we don't know where they live yeah <laughs> at the very start she's as you said kind of her performance space is the beauty counter at a department store and i did get a little um nostalgia pang for joan rivers in muppets take manhattan <laughs> when she's miss biggie's co-worker yes. at, at the beauty counter and i was thinking you know at the time that this film came out and the book was written joan rivers was on TV, you know, the Drone Rivers show was on from 89 to 93. Oh, yeah, right. Like square, it, square in this time. There, there's another kind of kind of connected. There's a moment when Dottie is having a bit of a time and I think with Erica and then she gets a phone call and she says, I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I hadn't. <laughs> It's someone from Newsday. They want to know what I think of women in comedy. <laughs> and then she immediately like puts on this like bright voice and speaks to this person. I was like, yeah. oh my God, that is still fucking happening. It's so re- Like Nora knew. Nora knew. She fucking knew. Yeah. One of the funniest things in this film is when they're watching <laughs> Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. They keep saying, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I, it just makes me crack up so much. Oh, they love that show. They love that show. It has that um, that really beautiful kind of trope of late 80s, early 90s cars driving over bridges and tunnels into Manhattan as like a really great song plays and it's like a family moving on up in the world. Yeah, these like tender Carly Simon hits. Yes. Beautiful. Oh my God, the Carly Simons. Love and- of my life. The first time it comes in as Dottie's, you know, she's singing this little car game with the girls and she, you hear her say, Dottie's girls are precious pearls. Yes. And then Carly Simon comes in. It's very sweet. Yeah. But then there are also these like little political moments of like you see them at an abortion rally, you know, it's like there's like a little tiny grab of it. It's uh, yeah, there's a a lot happening in this film and it makes me kind of mad that critics weren't seeing that in 1992. Fools. Fools. Idiots. Fucking idiots. This is why you can't trust the canon. 
Cannot trust the canon. No, the white male critical canon cannot mm-hmm. be trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one final C also I forgot about, which is it was not until digging into kind of what Nora was doing around this time that I found out that Nora Ephron was an executive producer of another Gabby Hoffman joint that I grew up obsessed with, which I think we should also do a Toy Poodle episode on. Um it's called, I grew up knowing it as the hairy bird. I love the hairy bird. In America, you might know it as strike exclamation mark or all I want to do. It had many titles <laughs> um, and I had no clue. Nora executive produced that film. I didn't know that either. Um, love ab- that film. Absolutely one of my faves um, and probably another one that the critics did not give its rightful attention or respect. Yeah. Another one would be Mike Mills, Come On, Come On. Which I didn't, I felt like did not go anywhere this year, and it should have. It's That's such a brilliant film. One like of my favorites of, of the year. Yeah. And you can see Gabby Hoffman in the mother role in that. Oh my God. <laughs> Just thinking about that film makes me kind of want to sob again, like I did in the theater. So, the moral of the story is, or a life <laughs> lesson, as Dottie would say, is A, letter writing is ridiculous. Somebody ends up with something, you should have a record of your life. And also B, watch This Is My Life and then come on, come on. Great advice. Life lessons. Thanks so much for listening to this first Toy Poodle episode of um, See Also. If you liked it, please share it around. Tag us in your stories at See Also Podcast and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Yeah, we're going to take a little break for a couple of weeks. We'll be back in your ears on the 27th of August. And if you're missing us in that time, get in touch with us on Instagram. But also you can hear us on the latest episode of the Saturday Paper Quiz Podcast with Johnny Leary, where we do very well, I think, right? We're we're so good at it. We're very good, very smart people on that show. I do watch Jeopardy every morning when I wake up. We're going on break at the same time Jeopardy is, so I'm very sorry to my fellow Jep heads that you're losing both of us. Thanks, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. We'll see you in a few weeks. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.